Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be rejoined by Ryan Fonder uh, this week to talk about his 10 biggest fiascos in the year uh, 2022. Biggest business fiascos in Hollywood. Um, and uh, I, first off, congratulations to Ryan. New new father, three months into the game. How's yes. it going? How are you Three feeling? Three months in, still alive. Uh, the hallucinations have faded a little bit. Uh, but yeah, things are going good. Thanks for asking, Sonny. Congratulations. All right, so let's get uh, let's get enough of that sappy stuff. Let's get to the, the business here. Uh, so yeah. we're talking about the year in fiascos. We're talking about the, the 10 biggest uh, and, and kind of strangest and weirdest stories and how they impacted Hollywood. And it was funny uh, to look at the first item on this list because it, it's something I had totally forgotten had happened uh yeah. this year or really at all neil young versus joe rogan and i would i like i like starting here because it's a really great demonstration of uh the the fairly limited impact of any controversy that originates in social media yeah i mean it's it's also just kind of the archetypal controversy of our modern age where it combines all this stuff of you know you got you got uh, public health uh, misinformation you've got uh, online personalities just people who are just chronically online um fighting over these things and the uh, i think the net result of it is kind of what i what i think about the most which is that in the wake of all of this the boycotts Joni mitchell uh, neil young all of his bandmates and everything spotify subscriptions actually increased and we all ended up kind of sharing our spotify wrapped playlists at the end of the year anyway just like the year before so it's so if it feels like that controversy kind of faded from the back of your mind um you know judging from my twitter feed it certainly seems like it it, it didn't have a huge impact on spotify's relevance as a as a commercial vehicle for music yeah no i mean uh it is it's just one of these very very funny things where you're like i remember being very angry about that uh and then you know six months later like what what happened what was going on with joe rogan and neil young that's uh it is what it is. All right, the slap, which is back in the news now because Will Smith, Will Smith has a you know his new uh, Oscar season movie out, Emancipation. It's on Apple TV Plus. Uh, what what happened there? What was the what was the end result in the fallout? Uh, well, Will Smith is still banned from the ceremony for ten years, uh, but the apology tour has officially begun you know doubling as this promotional campaign for An apple's uh, antoine fuqua slavery drama emancipation which i think they're hoping for some awards love for i'm not sure if they'll get it based on how things shook out with the golden globes and some of the uh and, and some of the sort of tertiary uh, awards body voting but i mean chris rock seems to be doing fine he's got a netflix deal uh, to do a live a comedy show for them, and that should be fun. So for the beginning of the year, which I'm guessing happens pretty close to the Oscars, but I'm not inside Ted Sarando's brain right now. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good timing. I mean, I it, it's interesting because I, you know, I uh, have seen Emancipation. We talked about it on Across the Movie Isle, one of my other podcasts here um this week uh and and the real the real issue with that movie i like i don't think anybody's even really talking about the slap anymore because the movie's just not 
good enough to like be in the mix as a real Oscar contender. Yeah, I mean, he went on the Trevor Noah show, uh, the Daily Show, to talk about like his his feelings and his bottled rage and like why it all happened, right? And like that seemed to be the thing that really people paid attention to as far as bringing the slap back into the uh, news cycle. But it's kind of been this thing of like, oh yeah, that thing happened a year ago. Can we move on now? <laughs> and but but no, we have to have this sort of ritual. Of, uh, of of everybody coming out of the woodwork and uh, and revisiting, uh, sort of like uh, Sundance movies being nominated for Oscars. Uh, it's a similar length of, of of news and production cycle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it is always fun to think back to the the movies that were sold, you know, twelve months before uh, the the Oscar ceremony takes place. Uh, and see what what makes it through that that period of time. All right, uh, Disney. Disney has had uh, an interesting year. Uh, so Disney and Don't Say Gay. Walk us through that one and uh, how it it resolved. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery have been in tight competition for most fiascoed company of uh, 2022. But of course, this all starts, or I guess doesn't start for Disney, but sort of the biggest example is Bob Chapek not wanting Disney to become a political football, uh, sort of forgetting that Disney is always a political football, and uh, trying to sit out the discussion of Florida's Don't Say Gay law, um, which was backed by Governor Ron DeSantis. And, you know, he managed to do the seemingly impossible, which is piss off people on the left and uh maybe even more so when he backtracked uh people on the right resulting in you know right-wing media figures calling disney a bunch of groomers and all that kind of thing and i don't know again i kind of look at the net result of this which is that uh, jpeg is out of his job now replaced by bob Iger uh, at the end of the year in a pretty dramatic faction we'll get back to it um, and then, you know, during the midterms, the governor won re-election. He's, he's like a national figure now. And this whole tiff with Disney like, certainly didn't hurt. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is a, this is an interesting one because it really does, uh, kind of like the Joe Rogan Spotify Neil Young fight, but to a much larger degree kind of brings together all of our disparate warring factions of politics, culture, online media uh, into one one swirling pot. I, re- I still contend that Chapek had the right basic idea of just trying to stay out of it entirely uh, and, right. and avoiding avoiding getting into it. But obviously that was not sustainable internally at Disney. Yeah, my view on that is it's trying to think about what would have happened if Iger were there and you know had tried to uh, walked the tightrope and had contempt or had just full on condemned the bill. Um, and, you know, I, I think something, something would have, uh, would have given DeSantis the opportunity to seize on Disney, uh, anyway. Uh, and you know, if, if, if they had come out swinging on this, uh, certainly, but, you know, Disney's always going to be in the spotlight or in the crosshairs, um, with, especially on the current version of the political right. Yeah, it's the, the, you know, kind of flip side uh, 
to 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 my coin here is I I do find it very funny uh, that that some some folks are like oh look you know Disney Disney went woke they're going broke that's why they're getting rid of the CEO but like I I don't do they remember what Bob Iger is like like Bob Iger is not a, a shrinking violet in terms of the political landscape he is he is a pretty straightforward. Uh, liberal, he's not. Uh, I don't. I don't think. And he was even kind of in the background, and then in the foreground, saying like, "Chapek is handling this very badly. We need to support our gay employees." You know, it was. It was yeah, yeah. No, Agger is like capital D Democrat, and was toying with the run for president uh, f- as a Democrat. So um, I'm not really sure what the uh, anti woke crowd thinks. Like this is all about if it's about you know, throwing out the the wokesters and, and bringing in some some other re- regime that's gonna go back on that i mean Iger's the guy who spoke out against uh against abortion laws in in georgia threatened to move disney out of georgia obviously that, that never happened but he was talking about it you know yeah yeah uh, all right. Next up is Wall Street turning on streaming. This is the biggest, I think, business story of the year. Uh, the, yeah. the shift in focus. So, what what is the what's what's going on here with Wall Street and streaming, and how that uh, that kind of calculus has changed for some of these studios? Well, it seemed like for the longest time, investors were looking at Netflix as kind of this miracle growth story, where you know subscription numbers were going up. Netflix is profitable. I mean, they're they're throwing off money, so they, and they rewarded uh, companies that imitated Netflix by boosting their stock prices. Like companies like Disney and uh, HBO, they threw in billions of dollars in capital to produce movies and TV shows for streaming to um, to get subscriber numbers, and it worked. And during the pandemic, especially, it worked really well because people couldn't go to movie theaters and people couldn't. Um, there was, there was not that much else to do, but eventually, uh, wall street, I think decided that, uh, it would be nice if these things started to make money, um, and are starting to see it in the results that, you know, Disney's losing like a billion dollars a quarter on its streaming platforms and doesn't really seem to have a convincing case that it's going to be profitable anytime soon, even though it's projections are that it'll break even in 2024. So now Wall Street, you know, looking at the macroeconomic environment, consumer spending, um, interest rates, uh, they're looking for cash flow. And so that means that there's going to be that there's already a pullback on all this spending on content for streaming, and you're seeing a lot of layoffs as a result. Like, yeah, you're right. It's a it's a mess. It's a huge about face. It's like a big, you know, Lucy pulling the uh, football uh, moment for for the business that was all all in on streaming, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, we we you guys want us to make money on this now? Okay, interesting. Yeah, I I mean it really does. Uh, it drives home a thing that I have kind of thought and argued for a while now, which is that streaming makes sense as a way to replace revenue lost uh, in the in the upcoming cord cutting era when when there's going to be less money spent on rights for you know movies and TV shows and everything. Um, that the studios are making, uh, but also uh, as a replacement for DVD and Blu-ray revenue, which has obviously fallen off a cliff. People don't buy physical media anymore because they're they're fools and they want to get it all up streaming all the time. It's bad bad choices for all you people out there. Buy buy stuff 
that you can hold in your hands. But the but but it is a it's a it's a big it's a big shift because they went from all right we'll, we're willing to lose money to grow our subscriber base to then a, a like shifting on a dime to like all right we got to make money now. Yeah, and you know I I don't want to like oversimplify what's going on. Like they're still spending an awful lot of money on uh, on streaming content, exclusive streaming content. But I think you know as you'll see in our next item certain companies are trying to kind of transition to something that makes a little bit more economic sense in a traditional uh, traditional sense of the word all right so let's let's move to the next thing uh the the item here is titled zaz swings the axe and that that covers a lot of stuff because david <laughs> yeah. david zaslov who is uh taken over at warner brothers discovery is the ceo there um he uh is in the midst of uh, a kind of radical rejiggering of what Warner Brothers means, what HBO means, what HBO Max means, what Discovery means as a channel. Uh, what is going on there, and how are they how are they cutting those costs? Well, when Zaz came in, um, and I'm using sort of the the, uh, the 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 honorific Zaz for David Zaslov. Um, yeah, he was very much like. Buddy, buddy, Hollywood. You know, Mister. I'm going to talk to all my all my friends in Hollywood and, and be talent friendly. Uh, that honeymoon ended pretty quick as soon as he started to get under the hood and figure out how he's going to make make good on this promise to Wall Street to save three billion dollars uh, a year in costs. So he gets in there. He starts. He first of all he kills CNN Plus immediately. This uh, this. $300 million boondoggle for streaming online news. He uh, goes through the movie slate, decides that streaming, like, big movies going straight to streaming makes no financial sense, kills Batgirl um, as this $90 million movie that was basically pretty much on, on the on the, on the the landing strip uh, ready to go. And talent this is just the start of it. I mean, Gordita Chronicles from HBO Max, like they start pruning episodes of Sesame Street uh, from, from, from the service. All kinds of stuff gets canceled. And this is a pretty radical shift from the AT&T era of Warner Media, which was the previous owner, uh, where they were throwing everything at, at HBO Max to try to get it to compete directly with Netflix and Disney+. Plus. Um, and then, you know, of course, you have the layoffs at the cable networks and Warner Brothers Studios and CNN also that, I, that are not done. You know, this is this is a continuing effort by, by Zaslav. Well, let, let's uh, dig into a couple of things here, because I do think it's I think it's interesting. I don't think people entirely understand the financials behind some of the decisions here, right? So, uh, you know, I, I, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but HBO Max uh, making the decision to take off some HBO Max originals, HBO originals, like shows that they were they were that they were technically licensing, right? That that HBO has always uh, uh, paid for. So, a show like uh, Westworld, for instance, right? Westworld was just taken off of. HBO Max is or is going to be leaving HBO Max, right? Yeah. Um, how does uh, how does that save them money? I guess is the basic question that people don't understand. People think that this is some sort of like spiteful, like oh, they're just getting rid of things, but it 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 is an actual cost uh, line item on on the budget, right? Yeah, it's it's it is that it is like you have to pay residuals to 
um, to your creators when you have that stuff on the air in perpetuity. Uh, the other part of it is that, you know, I think in some of the cases of, of these shows, uh, Zasloff wants to uh, take a lot of the stuff that's just been in this HBO Max walled garden and drawing subscribers, take that content and license it to other places, uh, you know, TV, other streamers, Netflix, so that they're not only saving money, they're actually bringing in revenue, which is how it used to work. You know, Sony Pictures, for example, it remains in so a so-called arms dealer in the business because it doesn't have its own streaming service. It sells its programming uh, to other networks and other streamers, like including Netflix. And it's been a very profitable uh, model for them. And so I think what Zaslav is saying is, yes, yeah, streaming is great, but it's it can't be the only thing that we're doing right now because it's not profitable. We have to maintain some of these business models that have actually been making us money, like licensing uh, movies and TV shows to uh, you know, ostensible competitors and uh, you know, especially putting movies in theaters for yeah. a long time. Yeah, I remember. I remember somebody breaking down, uh, you know, the the kind of thought process between about for licensing a show like Friends. Right? It's like we can we can either spend a billion dollars and keep Friends on HBO Max, and you know we'll pay for it and we'll we'll have it there, or uh, and and try to try to make a billion dollars worth of subscriptions on the people who are coming here just for Friends, or we can license it to netflix or hulu or whoever for a billion dollars and like it it just the 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 cost the cost benefit ratio there is is just off yeah it's fascinating um and i think what we're seeing right now is there was a lot of experimentation and a lot of excitement um that was was testing that balancing act and now we're seeing what people do when they decide okay maybe that wasn't quite worth it or maybe that didn't make all that much sense yeah yeah and and as you mentioned sony is considered an arms dealer in this in this whole thing because they you know they got they sold off their shares of uh, crackle or whatever whatever service they have right. the the sony playstation video service doesn't nobody wanted that so they're just like all right fine we'll sell it to everybody and uh sony movie bullet train has been like number one on the Netflix charts in the U.S. for the last week because it's new to the service. People are watching. It was just in theaters four months ago. Now it's on Netflix. Everybody is watching it there, and, and that yeah, I, that's that's just a win. I mean, that really is kind of a win for everyone. It's a win for Netflix. It's a win for Sony. And I'd be curious if people who see that you know Bullet Train is the number one movie on Netflix right now, if they see that as a Netflix movie, or if they're even thinking about movies and tv shows in those terms like i think people seems like people understand that stranger things is a netflix show but can the general public tell the difference between like uh something that was made specifically for netflix like gray man for example mm -hmm. and um and bullet train and i think this kind of proves the point that a lot of people have made is that movies that do well or even just okay in theatrical can do really really well on streaming like those two don't capital uh, don't cannibalize each other when the theatrical comes first like it's fairly clear that theatrical is a great marketing tool for films especially if they're you know big stars and you can get that on the poster people have heard of these films so when they come to netflix people watch them and they're very valuable to both uh, sides of that that deal
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see if uh, Netflix really moves into theatrical exhibition in a strong way. Uh, the the numbers on Glass Onion, uh, the new Knives Out movie, were pretty promising, but still limited. I mean, it was only in what six hundred screens. Yeah, seven hundred theaters total, and yeah, Ted Sarandos has been basically adamant, and Reed Hastings too, going out there and saying, "Look, we are not." trying to build a theatrical business stop trying to make this happen you people in theatrical i know you guys want movies in your theaters but this is our business and we're going to do it our way that's kind of the netflix attitude uh but that was kind of the netflix attitude towards uh advertising and now we have netflix with ads so yeah who knows uh we'll stay on warner brothers here for a minute for the next one off-screen drama i mean obviously uh there's the ezra miller situation uh, capital capital S situation that yeah. that is still resolving itself, and also everything that went on with Don't Worry, Darling. So what 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 walk us through what happened with Ezra Miller and kind of where things are right now with him and the Flash and and everything else. Yeah, so Ezra Miller's been on this sort of spiral uh, for quite a while. Uh, you know, he was charged with felony burglary in Vermont in October. He pled not guilty to that. We should mention. And there's been all this sort of speculation over The Flash, because it's on the schedule for next year. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to market this? Are they just going to like talk around it? Uh, Warner Brothers seems pretty confident in this movie, and maybe they should be. I mean, DC movies tend to do pretty well, um, and they actually moved it up a week. So will the backstory matter to audiences? I think this is going to be a really interesting test of that. And then with, um, I mean, this is it's it's very different kind of uh, kind of backstage drama. But with Olivia Wilde's "Don't Worry, Darling," that was kind of the the ultimate. Um, it was almost like an old fashioned, you know, celebrity intrigue behind the scenes kind of. Are they feuding with the stars? Is the director feuding with the stars? There's like custody battles going on between uh, between Wilde and her ex Jason Sudeikis. Um, there was this whole thing at a screening where people for a minute thought that Harry Styles had spit on Chris Pine, uh, which turned out to be totally made up. Uh, and so it was just one of these, it was like the internet version of one of those old school uh, behind the scenes chaos stories that was entertaining, uh, but ultimately fairly harmless because uh, the movie ended up doing pretty okay at the box office. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that the movie just ended up doing okay. It didn't yeah. didn't blow the doors off, but it also didn't crash and burn. I mean, it was, a, yeah, right. you know, it was what, what like a $30 million movie ended up grossing about 80 to 90 worldwide. That's, you know, that's going to be okay. Yeah, and it was on HBO Max within a couple of months. So if people yeah. wanted to see it there, you know, I, yeah, and I, th- I think it did fine, especially for a movie that got pretty dismal reviews. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Uh, all right. Uh, this was a, a a a sadder story: the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard yeah. uh, uh, lawsuit. But it is an interesting media story as well. I mean, the 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 ways in which uh, you know Johnny Depp and Amber Heard got. Uh, I mean, obviously their own thing is is controversial enough. But you know, the the reason that this suit came about is because of a an op ed in the Washington Post of all places. Yeah, which should be noted didn't mention Johnny Depp by name, but anyone who knew the backstory could probably glean what she was talking about, um, you know, in terms of 
describing herself as a, as a victim uh, of abuse or survivor of abuse. And there was so much, like, there was so much discussion of this topic uh, throughout. There was, like, all these legal influencers, like, people on LawTube or Law Talk trying to make a name for themselves. And this just seemed to be a breeding ground for um, really toxic stuff. Like, a lot of vitriol uh, throwing around the internet, especially at herd, just kind of an ugly situation, uh, especially, you know, not, not great, uh, for people who were watching this as survivors uh, of abuse. Um, so definitely a mess. I get, I guess, you know, Depp comes out of it, the sensible winner with a $10 million jury verdict, but no one comes out of this looking good. Yeah. Uh, all right, Kanye. We're headed. We're headed towards the end of the year now. Kanye West. Obviously, we're getting into uh, some dark territory here. Aren't I feel we? like I, I feel like the there there are like six different Kanye West controversies all at once here. Uh, but uh, what was it that damn it damaged him the worst with everyone? Uh, just going full Hitler apologist, basically. Uh, and going go, pro Hitler. That's always yeah, a going, bad side. I think that was probably the nail in the coffin there. Uh, definitely the the apotheosis of this was the now infamous uh, interview that he did on Alex Jones' show, um, you know, being sort of a, a associate of Nick Fuentes, the uh, well-known white nationalist voice. It certainly did not help. And, you know, that was kind of the... But Con- here, the thing with Kanye that's interesting is it's it's been sort of a gradual spiral until now. Like his views have always been hard to place. Like, and he's like he's worn the MAGA hat. He's worn the White Lives Matter T-shirt. Um, in a more recent example, uh, and this was and still this was the guy who just a few years ago was telling the world that George Bush didn't care about black people. So it's been such a wild evolution for, for Kanye West, who now goes by yay. Um, and yeah, I think now for people who really loved Kanye West and loved him for his music and were sort of willing to overlook the icky weirdness of the, of the politics, this is really a breaking point. And, you know, a lot of people that I talked to and a lot of people that my you know, music reporter colleagues talked to were kind of in mourning about this, this whole thing. Um, while of course being, you know, furious at Kanye for, for, for doing this. Yeah. Well, for, uh, for understandable reasons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, here's the story I haven't actually paid as much attention to as I probably should have, but Taylor Swift versus Ticketmaster, because I like it. There, there are two interesting stories here. One is the eternal struggle against Ticketmaster, the worst a company in the world, everybody hates Ticketmaster for good reason. Um, but but two, there there's an interesting angle here that this 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 really only happens because there is only there are only like two or three people like Taylor Swift in the world who can command this sort of uh, attention and ticket demand and everything else uh, all at the same time. Um, so what's what's the story here? Yeah, I mean, so what happened was Ticketmaster has this verified fans uh, program where it does pre-sales for tickets, right? And there's a certain time everybody goes, everyone who's in the fan club goes online 
and they're able to buy tickets before the you know the plebs and the general public. So what happened was there was so much demand, and if you listen to Ticketmaster, there was a lot of bot accounts and fake accounts as well, and people without codes trying to log on, and it broke Ticketmaster. Even though Ticketmaster had apparently, according to Taylor, assured her and her team that they were able to handle the demand. Now, I look at this, you know, you see with pre-sales, uh, especially for things like you know, even AMC site during the pre-sales for Avengers Endgame, that site broke down, right? Like high demand events will break your website often. Uh, it's just it's just kind of a fact of life on the internet sometimes. But uh, this was pretty. I mean, you, the lesson here is you just don't want Taylor Swift fans to be pissed off at you. Uh, especially when you're already in the crosshairs for for regulators, and the thing with uh, Ticketmaster and 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 Taylor Swift is if Taylor Swift didn't like how Ticketmaster was running its business, uh, it's not like she can go to some other ticket seller right now, right? Like there's pretty much one in the market that runs everything, um, so it's kind of a walking a- a- antitrust case yeah. uh, waiting to I happen. I mean, do we, do we think that this is going to lead to the, the, this is, is this the, the straw that breaks the camel's back and, and gets regulators to finally break Ticketmaster up? I don't know. It's gotten, it's gotten some politicians pretty excited and, you know, AOC tweeting about it and other people trying to sort of join the bandwagon and grab a headline uh, for, for criticizing Ticketmaster. But ultimately it's going to be in the hands of regulators like the DOJ or Lena Khan's uh, federal trade commission, which uh, in the recent months has shown itself to be pretty aggressive when it comes to blocking mergers in a way that you wouldn't have necessarily thought before based on sort of the traditional antitrust model. So breaking up, the Simon Schuster uh, Penguin Random House deal that was supposed to go through. Um, now they're suing to block the $69, million, uh, $69 billion acquisition of uh, Activision Blizzard by, uh, by Microsoft. So yeah, that's going to be a huge story, I think, in 2023. It's just like yeah. how the climate of antitrust changes. Yeah. Like, are we, like, even if Disney wanted to be sold to Apple, which it does not, uh, Bob Iger has said, mm. uh, even if that kind of a deal was in the offing, would it pass muster with the current uh, current regime? I mean, probably not. This might have a chilling effect on, on deal making. We'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, big story. Antitrust. Uh, for 2023. All right, and then we're speaking. Speaking of Disney, this is the last, uh, the last of the ten fiascos. Uh, the Bob swap. We're, we got Bob Iger's back. Bob Chapek is out. Uh, what is? How did this happen? Because I, 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 again, I mentioned this on a on another show, but the the way that the uh, the the final the final kind of push out the door for Chapek. Uh, occurred was that he sounded and again this friend of mine has how he described it he said that bob chapek sounded psychotic on the earnings call uh just sound sounded like a crazy (laughs) person just like hyping up totally inconsequential things and ignoring the big problems and people were like this guy cannot be in charge of the company anymore it was i i covered the that earnings call 
And it was at a time when there was just, there was a midterm election going on. Like, and yeah, he, I mean, the thing with, the thing with covering earnings is that you kind of expect the corporate happy talk to try to cover up the, the, even when it's a huge mess on the earnings. But the fact is that they, they, they missed on, you know, on revenue. They missed on, uh, profit. They lost a billion and a half dollars from their streaming uh, services in, in one quarter. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was talking as if they just won the Super Bowl. Uh, so yeah, I, I, but I, I suspect that's, I suspect there's something else, uh, going on there. There's been a lot of sort of Machiavellian behind the scenes, uh, stories about their CFO, uh, Christine McCarthy being the one who ended up being the Kingslayer, just knifing him in the back, uh, after all this. And the, the, the reality is, is that this was a buildup of a lot of things leading to this, uh, leading to this shakeup. Um, one earnings report doesn't typically take out a CEO. Like they have to be really concerned about how he's running the company, uh, how this, uh, how some of the decisions have affected the brand, which is a very important, uh, thing to Disney. And just like what the strategy is, like you say, you can get Disney plus profitable by 2024, show me the money, let's prove it. And you know, now that's, now it's Bob Iger's problem. So that's for sure. All right. Uh, Ryan, thank you very much for being on the show. I always like to end by asking if there's anything uh, you think folks should be, uh, folks, folks should know what, what, what should be, uh, what should folks be looking forward to ahead in 2023 aside from antitrust? Obviously that's the... Ooh, 2023. So streaming consolidation is probably the safest and most boring answer that, uh, that I, that I can give. Um, and then, I mean, I guess that relates to antitrust because if these things want to combine or, or something, uh, then they have to get approved by the government, but you know, it's, well, let me, uh, let me, uh, let me drill down on that for one sec. When you say uh, streamer consolidation, do you mean beyond like you know HBO Max Discovery coming together for for its own thing? Uh, you know, uh, or are we talking about like maybe somebody? I, I like I I don't even know who would. Yeah, buy I who. mean like the the long rumored uh, NBC Universal Paramount Global merger, which would bring together you know eventually Peacock and. Uh, and Paramount uh, Plus, uh, that would be interesting. This is something that people have talked about without, you know, maybe there being so much uh, fact behind it. But, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's like, oh, does, does Disney buy Netflix or something? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Like, it, there's some there's some crazy ideas out there. Uh, but never say never. Um, yeah. It's, it's, so that's the kind of thing. Like, I was talking to Tony Mansakara of, of, of Sony fairly recently for an industry panel that we did that's on Lavalin website now. And, you know, the view from his point of view is just that there just aren't going to be a million streaming companies in, you know, in the next few years. Like, it's going to consolidate into the ones that are successful. And does that mean that some of these companies give up? and sort of uh, sort of take their streaming services offline and decide they want to be the arms dealer? Or does it mean they just combine and, and do murders, acquisitions, yada, yada, yada? The bottom line is that bankers and lawyers are going to be in great shape. <laughs> That's As always, always. That's, yeah. That is uh, <laughs> death and taxes 
truism right there. Yeah, it's very, uh, yeah, it's very death and taxes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Ryan, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I'll I'll have a link in the email. You can go sign up for his email uh, newsletter. It's great. Uh, you should do that. Um, uh, always always great to have him on. Um, and congrats again on being a new father yay kids thanks honey that's the most important fiasco of all yes number one fiasco of the year for ryan all right uh that is that is it for this week's show i will be back next week with another episode of the bulwark goes to hollywood we'll see you guys then